We are in a series called Love Hate, which uh, I've already received criticism on for being too. Uh, I was telling Tim, where are you guys at? There you are. I was telling, uh, telling the, the sipes that uh, in Tennessee, their constant complaint was I was not fire and brimstone enough. And the complaint that I get from here is I'm too much. So <laughs> I don't know where I fit. Somewhere, what would be the middle there? Bottom Illinois? I don't know. Wherever, you know. Um, so welcome to the most awkward sermon that I've ever preached uh, this morning. This is, this is what we're going to do today and next week. Uh, there are a couple of things that I, I really... I. Uh, I really worry about as a minister, as somebody who gets up and teaches and preaches, the first is of being wrong. Um, I take that really seriously. Uh, what I want to declare to you is what Scripture says. I have no authority. I am just a person. Uh, I was born and I will die, and that's, I mean, that, that I, I have nothing. Uh, all I have to give you is what God says in his word. Uh, the second thing is I hate being redundant. I, the, the worst thing I could think of is somebody hearing a message and saying, yeah, you know, we've heard that a thousand times and I didn't need to hear it anymore, you know. Um, and so sometimes I wrestle with what do you need to hear from the scriptures? What do I need to hear from the scriptures? What do we need to hear from the scriptures? And the third thing I hate is, is controversy in the church. Outside is fun, nonsense, that's the world. But in the church, I hate controversy. I hate division, I hate fighting, I hate disagreements. I want us to be all of one mind going forward. But in order to be of one mind going forward, if we're gonna be with God, we have to love what God loves and we have to hate what God hates. And so uh, this, actually, this, this sermon and next week's sermons were not originally a part of our planning as we were planning out what to, what to talk about and when we engage in that, because there's a lot of different things we could, topics we could, we could address uh, but this one I've, been, I've just been wrestling with for months and months and months as to whether or not it, it needs to be preached or not. And I guess I'm going to do it. And so if I get phone calls, I'll know it was a mistake. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I'm increasingly concerned uh, that Christians have no idea. And so that's another kind of thing. If you're not a believer here today, you're kind of going to get a lot of Christian talk. This is really directed at people who say, I love Jesus and want to follow him. Um, if you don't love Jesus and don't want to follow him, you'll get a good insight on what it means to be uh, in love with Jesus and to follow him. Um, but I've been increasingly concerned uh, over the past few years that Christians really have no concept of what the Bible means when it talks about sex, um, when it talks about marriage, when it talks about love. I'm increasingly concerned that we are being swallowed up by the culture around us. And, um, and that this has been happening for a very, very long time. This is not like a new thing. Um, so I want to give you two concerns that happened this month that kind of drive this. The first one is this. Uh, this is a website. It's not quite up yet. The church will be beginning um, soon here in Boulder, Colorado. This is the name of the church. It is founded um, uh, and being led by a transgendered um, person who trans, transgendered from um, man to woman, and uh, he or she or whatever pronoun you prefer to use uh, is a former high member of our movement, and so their whole whole shtick um, is that progressive end of of, of the Christian. I guess progressive, progressive try to put, push Christians forward. This is the second thing I got both of these from a, a friend. Now, what, uh, if you don't know what this word means, this is the new word for kind of polygamy, but not everybody gets married anymore. Polygamy means more than one wife, that kind of thing. And so polyamory means you love more than one person. 
Um, and so this guy uh, from my progressive friends is actually kind of fringy, um, but I will bet hard money, if I had it, <laughs> that this is the next thing. As soon as gay marriage became a thing, and that got sort of solidified within the culture, transgender issues became the next thing. And once we solidify that, this is the next thing. In fact, I can tell you a story about that. I had, had a friend who's at a progressive church. He's on the leadership at a progressive church. And they were doing a series on sex, and this subject came up. Uh, what are we going to do with this? And everyone but him was ob- on board with it. Right, so this is the next thing. Now, how is that an issue? Uh, how, did this, how did this happen where Christians are beginning to ask questions about this? That, you know, like, and, and everyone's okay with this. Like For 2,000 years, and then that's to Jesus, and then 2,000 beyond that, the Christian way of understanding love and marriage and celibacy and singleness has, has, has been the same. Um, and yet now we're asking new questions. What is the cause of that? This guy is the cause of that. <laughs> we're... Uh, our culture is the cause of that. Media is the cause of that. Um, this is a cartoon. This is from the second season of the cartoon. Emery was watching on Netflix, and we watched the first season, and it was really funny and quirky, and it's a little alien, a little girl, and it's all, it's all really innocent fun. Um, then in the second season of the show, uh, the, the, the alien brought in his mom, and his mom is clearly a transgendered alien, um, and so the alien goes on to explain to the girl who's naturally confused what's going on. Um, well, we have all of these different genders uh, in, our, in our world. And while this is clearly an alien, you, you have to understand that what is happening is the training of children to see the world through a particular light. We're always being doing like, like This is an agenda-driven. I, Star Trek, which I like... Who loves the Star Trek, right? Yes, thank you all so much. Watch the documentary on Netflix where the guys who create and wrote Next Gen talk about all of the social issues they were trying to push. Like this is, this is when you love something, you value something, you want to say something to the world, this is how you do it. This is what I'm doing right now, right? I mean, we're all receiving arguments all the time. Every story, every TV show, every song, every blog post, every, everything is an argument trying to convince you, right? And, and what we have to do as people is we have to not take for granted that, that somebody isn't trying to convince us something. I'm, I'm just being upfront about it. <laughs> I'm just being upfront about it. So anyway, one of the issues that we have is as we move forward in this society that is continuing to stretch the boundaries of what we used to call maybe traditional sexual ethics. As it's pushing those boundaries, we're finding it more and more difficult to find our place in the world because we have so many friends and loved ones that are pushing those same boundaries because we experience uh, you know, television and all these things and, and people, who we, people who we meet, people who we work with who are good, generous, loving, wonderful, kind people who are pushing those boundaries and we don't know what to do because anytime you say something, I disagree with that practice. I disagree with that way of life or more, as we'll get into the scripture, the scriptures disagree with that. You, you drive a wedge between a person you care about and that's a real thing. And we as Christians are really wrestling with how to make sense of that. How to make sense of that world. Because our head is speaking 
And our heart is speaking at the same time. And I watch this happen, not, not even just in the sort of the issues that I pointed out here, but in divorce, where Christians have just given up the ghost on this. People sitting in my office saying to me, I know God says I shouldn't divorce. I know that it will destroy my children because I've worked with enough kids to tell you this. If you divorce your spouse, even if your marriage is terrible, you will wreck your kids for a year at least. It's, just, it's a fact. It's a brute fact. It's a brute fact. But what do we have? We have our heart and we have our head. And what I have seen over and over again is Christian people saying, I know this head, but I need to be happy heart. And when it comes to the battle between the head and the heart, the heart always wins. And part of that is the culture we live in. Part of that's a culture we live in. Part of that's just being human. Part of that's just being human. And so my goal today is not to beat people down. My goal next week is not to beat people down. My goal is to expose what Scripture says. Because I, I truly believe if you see what God made, so hang with me if you're already offended, just hang with me for a second. I want you to see the vision, the positive vision the Scriptures put out, the vision that God had for the world. Because I think if you see it, you will see its beauty and it's perfection. And I contend, this is my argument, right? So again, laying, let's just play cards face down. Face down? I don't play enough poker. Face up, right? Got that wrong. Right. Thank you for the correction. Face up. We just like lay the cards down. Say, what, what? I am arguing this. That if the Bible never says, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, don't do this, don't do that, we would still know exactly what God wants in terms of our lives in terms of love and sex and marriage and all these other things. Because the Bible is so crystal clear on this issue and giving us a positive vision for the glory of God. So, let's go to Jesus, right? Because that's where we always start. Go to Jesus. In Matthew 19, I'm going to try to give you all of these scriptures as much as I can. There's going to come a point where I just kind of give you a list of them and I encourage you to write them down because it's just too much to put on a slide. Um, and so I apologize for that. But this kind of is our core, our core verse here because this is the core verse that comes from Jesus. Jesus shows up. Uh, he's, he's teaching and preaching. And the Pharisees come upon Jesus. And, and this is them trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him, trying to show him as a false teacher because then no one will, they'll, he'll, they'll, just, they'll discredit him and they won't have to, you know, people won't listen to him. And the Pharisees, if you don't know who they are, they're kind of like Jesus' opponents they believe differently about God than Jesus does. They don't believe that Jesus is from God. And so Jesus shows up, and the, the, the Pharisees show up in the same place, and the Pharisees ask him a question about divorce. Is it okay for us to divorce our wives? And Jesus answers this way, Have you not read that he, this is God, who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Isn't that an interesting thing? When I, when I posted that thing up here about the, uh, the little alien and all the different genders, what were they still forced to do? Do boy and do girl. Like you can, you can complicate it by adding more boys and girls if you want, but we're still forced into two blocks, right? Because you are born male or you are born female. That's, that, and, and one of the interesting things, you should talk to Paul about this when he gets back because Paul sells insurance on the side and he was telling me about life insurance and how they don't, they don't do life insurance for people who are going through those transgender things. Because if you're a male and you're trans, trans, transgendering into a female, transitioning into a female, you're taking all these drugs and you are sending your body into chaos. 
physical chaos because you're denying what you are and you're trying to be something else. And I would argue that 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 happens in, in all of our lives, not just within this issue itself, but in all of our lives when we try to be something that we're not. And I'm going to argue throughout this that ultimately what we should understand understand ourselves as is people who are made in the image of God, who are intrinsically and inherently valued and loved. And because you are made in the image of God, you are made for an eternal life, an eternal kingdom. You are made for fellowship with the divine God who made heaven and earth. And he desires to have that relationship with you. And if you put anything else near that as this is who I am or this is what I'm about, you will lose sight of the thing that matters most, the glory of God in your life. So, Jesus kind of lays out this. There, there, this is how God has made it. He's quoting all the way back to Genesis, the very beginning. He goes back to the beginning. And he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So there's no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Again, this is a quote gen- directly from Genesis 2. And the Pharisees, they're smart dudes, Right? They went to, to college. They, they have all of the brains. And they're like, gotcha, Jesus. Because Moses, who is the greatest lawgiver, he's the one that God spoke to directly. If you don't know much about the Bible, it's okay. I know we're doing a lot of Bible talk this morning. but Genesis kind of tells the story of, of, of kind of history and how the Jews came to where they are. And then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's four books there. And they detail the laws, what you should do and not do if you want to have fellowship with God. And the Pharisees are like, we got you, Jesus, because Moses said we could. You, none of you cheered. Like, that was a cheer moment. Like, I... Was that was why I was getting excited. Like, we, we got you, Jesus. We beat you. And Jesus says, you guys are dummies. This is paraphrasing, of course. He says, why did Moses do it? He did it because you refused to obey God. So he made provision because if he didn't make provision, if he didn't figure out some way to deal with the fact that you're going to continually be unfaithful, you wouldn't be here. God would destroy you. So, so Moses made it this way, but it was not. This is, this is what Jesus says. It was not so from the beginning. God's vision was better than this. In other words, what Jesus affirms here is a positive case for what God made when he made male and female, when he created marriage. Now here I have very little to say good to the church. I love it. Let that sink in for a second. Because I'm talking to my, my people, right? We have very little to, good to say about the church. Because when I say this, I think you don't understand what the Bible is talking about. When I say marriage or wedding or any of these things, you might think of church services or uh, pieces of paper that witnesses sign or... Flowers or dresses or rings or other boring things, right? None of that, none of that is marriage. None of that is wedding. A wedding is a two becoming one, right? When one thing and another thing become one thing, that a thing is then wed. 
None of that happens in the service, right? Because all of that happens in the bedroom. That is when two become one flesh. That is when two procreate and make new flesh, right? That is what it says. The two shall become one. Now, this is why it is so horrific that Christians, again, I'm speaking mainly to Christians, although I think this, this law will be, we will all be judged by the same by the same standard, God's word is standard. But this is why it is so horrific when Christians, people who say that I follow and love Jesus, sleep with more than one person. Why they're with one boyfriend or girlfriend for a little while and then they move to the next one and including in that, they're including sex. Because what they are doing in that life is fundamentally denying that two have become one. And they're ripping the one apart and they're making new twos, new ones, right? We're fundamentally denying scripture by the practices of our lives. And we're tarnishing the glory of God. I'll get to the glory of God here in a second. Just hang with me. I know I'm, I know, I'm glad that no Bibles have flown, but just hold, hold tight because I have more criticism for you. The two become one flesh, so that is an important thing. Then the two, you notice, the, they leave the father and mother and they become one flesh and they, 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 they're leaving the old family and they're joining the new family. They're cohabitating. They're living together. There's now, there was now this old family unit and now it's broken off and you have a new family unit. Just like if you had one church and we got too big, we say, well, let's plant a church over there and you plant, plant something over there. It is one family unit. It becomes a new family unit. And this is why it is so horrific when Christians cohabitate with one another but do not declare that cohabitation, do not declare that marriage before the church of God and before God himself asking a blessing upon it. Because what we are saying essentially in that life is, well, this is why people don't like actually get married, right? Because uh, I, you see the square, scare quotes, right? Actually married by, as if the state or piece of paper actually made it marriage. They don't do that. Why? Because we're still hedging our bets. Well, maybe this won't work out. Maybe things won't work out, and I'll go over here with this person, and I'll go over here with this person. This is why declaring your lifelong commitment matters so much. If you know me very well, you know I have low regard for the state. I don't care what the state says. I care what God says, and I care what we say as a people. And what we say when we gather together at a wedding moment when my lovely wife and I we declared to the church so the church could hold us accountable. We declared before God so that God could bless it. And that's what matters. And that's why, that's why this matters so much. This is why, why Paul is so offended um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, which, uh, again, I'm not going to be able to put up because it's just too much. But if you want to write that down or a turn in the Pew Bible, if you want, to page 955, that's where this is found. But he's, he's so offended because he finds out that there are men, of course men, right? right? Let's just take the guilt. Men who are uniting with prostitutes. This is a common thing in the Roman world. The man would stay with, with the wife, and the, the, wife, you know, the wife is the, the actual progenitor, the, the, the line by which you say, these are my legitimate children. But the Roman or Greek man could go out and do whatever he wanted at the party. 
And that's what they're doing. And Paul is scandalized by this. And he's scandalized by this because it it isn't just that this is sort of like, oh, this is a dirty sin or something like that. It's because it denies fundamentally who you are in Jesus Christ. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Like, the the Bible says that God doesn't doesn't dwell in this building. When you all leave, you know what this is? A building, right? I mean, that's all it is. It's, it's brick, it's mortar, it's, it's, it's wood. That's all it is. God doesn't dwell in buildings. He dwells in his people. You are a temple. You are a holy thing. How cool is that? In ancient times, in the times of the, of the in the Old Testament, which is beautiful, wonderful stuff, God came and he dwelt inside a tent, inside a tent, inside a tent. And if you wanted to be near God, you could stand outside the tent, tent, tent. What? Great. Wonderful. Jesus comes, and this is how big the cross is. I was telling the men this Saturday morning, like, when you read the Old Testament, you shouldn't read the Old Testament and say, well, this is meaningless. No, you should read the Old Testament. You should read Leviticus. Probably, let's be honest, the most boring book in the Bible. No one makes it through Leviticus because you're like, oh, my gosh. Why don't do this and kill this and this and blah, 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 all these things. Why? Because when you read this, you see how hard it, it was for the people to be near God. And you see how amazing and holy and other and perfect and pure God is. And you see that you want to be near that holy, other, perfect, pure God. And you see all that they had to go to. And then you see that all of that law is done away with in Jesus. And you see how big and how loving and how gracious and how desperate God is for you that he would send his son to make you righteous, to make you holy, so that when you leave this building today, you have the presence of God in you. And anytime you take what you are, what you are, a temple for the living God, and you mesh it, with something that is unholy, only to tear it away again and then go home to your bride or your spouse. And here we can talk about lust of the eyes because Jesus condemns pornography as much as he condemns adultery or lust of the flesh. Both of these things corrupt your being. And you, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my enemies maybe by this time, you all are made for more. You are made for more. If you take nothing away from this today, please, you are made for more. You're made for more than this. This last Sunday, we celebrated the Cobbs' 70th wedding anniversary. No, I'm not going to give them a mic. Because I'm going to ask a rhetorical question by which I want to hear no affirmations. (laughs) But I imagine that there were times where you said, yeah, I could be done with this. He's driving me nuts. I cannot take this man anymore. And he says, I agree. (laughs) Because if you know anything about marriage, seven days is work. It's not all work. Seven days living with anyone is hard. Because we are different people. And men and women are really different people. 
And if you're going to stick it out for 70 years or more, it's going to take commitment. And this is the glory of marriage. This is why I love uh, this text right here. Here's a few texts that God uses marriage to talk about um, his relationship with his people. But I especially love this text right here. Uh, even if you go back here to verse 21 and then read it all the way through. Because God goes to talking about women this and husbands this and wives this and husbands this and wives this. And then he gets to this lovely, lovely, lovely place where he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. He turns it, he's like, he's like diatribed about marriage for like five verses. And then he undoes all of his work by saying, this is a mystery. And what I'm saying right now is this is about Christ and the church. Why is marriage so lovely? Because it is a living witness to God's faithfulness. It takes faithfulness to make it seven years or 70 years. It takes commitment It takes a tenacious, I will be faithful to this individual until they bury me. That is hard work. It's hard. It's also full of joy, right? I've really pushed on the dark side of this. I don't mean to. It's full of joy and the miracle of life and children. And Esri didn't want to sleep at all last night. And Emery had two nightmares. And I'm so tired right now. I just want to lay down and die. Right? Can I get a witness from married folk? Yes. And Laura has wanted to throw me out more than once. Don't give her a mic either. But it is the fact that we say, no. No, we will be there 70 years later if we live that long. And we will say we made it because we wanted to reflect the glory of God. Because just as she never gave up on me and I never, never gave up on her, God will never give up on you. That's the glory of marriage. It reflects the glory of God's faithfulness. It reflects his covenantal love. It reflects his commitment to us. And we reflect it back. And what the world should see when they look at us is a people who do not bend, who do not break, who are stubborn. And say, I will not give up on God. God will not give up on me. I will not give up on my wife. And she will not give up on me. But she will take the baby out of the church because she's making so much noise. (laughs) Babies. Does this mean? I was I was actually just joking, but (laughs) I was joking. She's gone. She's gone. I tell you, that baby, seriously. What was I saying? Okay, so does this mean that everyone ought to be married? Is that, this, this is my point. Everybody needs to get married. No, no. Marriage is actually not the ultimate glory in representing the glory of God. In fact, singleness and celibacy are. Paul says this. He warns us to make sure the marriage bed is held with honor because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers in Hebrews 13, 4. But we shouldn't take that to say everyone ought to get married. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, and I give a little touch of this, but I can't get it all. But I wanted to get the important little bit, so it kind of goes through this whole chunk. But I wanted to give this little bit right here, because this is so important. Paul says this, he says, This is what I mean, brothers and sisters, the time is limited. Time is running out. It's running out on us whether Jesus shows up tomorrow. It's running out on us because you're going to be dead in 50 years, right? Right? Time's running out. And before you know it, 
Time is up. Time is running out. For this world in its current form is passing away. Everything is passing away. That's a, actually a, a law of physics, second law of thermodynamics, right? It's all breaking down. And so he says in verse 32 of this passage, I want you to be without concerns. The, married man, the unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord. Can have single-minded laser focus on the things of the Lord. How he can please the Lord. But the married man, as I've already demonstrated, (laughs) is concerned about the things of the world. I can't go wherever the wind blows because I have a family to provide for. And there's a particular glory in the family and providing for it, as I've already demonstrated, I've already talked about. But there's another particular glory in a man who says, I will give myself to nothing but Jesus, and I will chase him, and I will spread the good news, and I will go to Africa, and I'll go to India, and I'll go to inner city Detroit, and I'll go wherever the Spirit leads me, because nothing is holding me down, because only God is in my sight. That is a particular glory that we as a church have forgotten because church, we've gotten too obsessed. Man, you turn on anything, it's like the family, the family, the family, the family. And what we have done in this is we become so focused on the nuclear family that we have left our single and celibate brothers and sisters outside and they're lonely and it is our fault. And this should be a place where people who say, you know, I'm not married yet, maybe I will be, maybe I won't be are not familyless. And if you know there are single people in our midst and you want them to not be lonely and not to fall into sexual sin because we get lonely, right? Does anybody get lonely in here? And you don't want them to fall into that, you need to bring them in and give them a place at your table, a place in your rooms, a place at your TV when you're watching U of M fail so terribly, right? <laughs> It was, a, it, was, it was brutal. <laughs> Did you finish it? <laughs> hey, hey, heretics, shut it. Shut it down. Shut it down. Your sermon's coming next Sunday. This is like the only sports joke you will ever get from me. <laughs> right there. Right there. <laughs> Write it down. That's it. First time, last time, we're done. Paul says the same thing about the unmarried woman. He says the unmarried woman is uh, concerned about the things of the Lord. She can be holy both in body and in spirit. That is holy not in the sense that a married woman is unholy, but singularly focused and separated and given, and given to God. And she, she can do that. Why? Because Laura took the baby. She's concerned about the things of the world. That's the life that we've chosen. But if you've chosen a different life, if you are single and you want to live your life just totally devoted to God, that is, that is beautiful. And I applaud you. I, I honor you. And if you need a place at a table, I got a big one. Um, we won't watch football probably, but that, you know. Paul is so right about this. And he delivers to us a vision of glory for both the married and the unmarried. There's a modern mythology, and you're getting it everywhere, that if you are not active in some sort of sexual activity, you are not complete that somehow how you see yourself as a sexual individual is the thing that defines you. It's the thing that you value. It's the thing that like, sets me in this group and not in that group. And, and, and that is true probably in the world, but in the church it's not true at all. Because for us it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. There's nothing else that defines me. Being a father can't be defining for me. 
Being a husband can't be defining for me. Being a minister can't be defining for me. If, if being a Christian is not the core of who I am, everything else goes off. And I replace God with idols. And so we have to be so very careful as we live in a world and, and we watch TV and we listen to music and we, and we have all these things that we're, we're engaging with people. We have to be so careful to see the glory of God and what he has designed versus sad imitations. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about sad imitations. Less than what you're made for. Less than what you're made for. Less than what you're made for. Jesus says that, that there's another time the Pharisees come, uh, the Sadducees come this time, and, and these are a different group, but they, they also hate Jesus. You know, not, not a lot of people like Jesus. And, uh, and they, they, have a, they have also a trick question. It's a ridiculous story. It's like, you know, this lady got married, and then he died, then she mar- got married again, and he died, and she got married again, and he died, she got married again, and he died. And then some idiot who's like not afraid of this black widow marries her again, and he dies, <laughs> and she does that seven times. If I would have been Jesus, I would have been like, wait, tell me that story again. <laughs> like, anyway, so they have this ridiculous question. So, you know, the story of the, of the Gospels is you're going to be raised from the dead. The story of the Scriptures is this. this. This is not all there is. This is not all there is. There is a judgment day and there is accounting. And there will some that will go into everlasting destruction and some will go into everlasting life. And they will be embodied and they will live in the kingdom of God, and we will be in the presence of God, in the presence of one another. And they say, well, who's going to get to marry her? Because she's had seven guys. No one wants seven husbands. Am I right? Can I get, right? (laughs) Someone said it. (laughs) No one wants seven husbands. So who gets her? And Jesus says this, you're dummies. Again, paraphrasing. From the resurrection... They will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they will be like the angels. Do you know what that means? I don't. I have no idea what that means. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Jesus says things sometimes where I'm like, go on? Like, (laughs) continue? And Jesus so frequently leaves things that belong to God with God. And so infrequently explains all the questions that I have. I suppose that's what faith is all about. But what we can know is this, whatever is happening right now in terms of marriage between my my wife and me, to use this as an example, and as parents, is not eternal. Something about it goes away when the kingdom comes. And I I don't know how all that shakes down, because I don't have enough details about God's messengers, what we call angels. I don't have enough details about that, but whatever it is, it's not the same. And you know what you single people do? You declare that to us by your life. You are a vision. You are a vision of eternal life. So whether you want to embody God's glory in marriage and lifelong commitment with another person so that you can say, God is like this. When I make him angry, he still loves me and will not abandon me. Or whether or not you want to be a vision of what is eternally to come and devote yourself to God as a celibate single person who has brothers and sisters in Christ who make sure that you're not lonely or tempted. Whether you want to be this or that, the Bible declares to you a positive vision for what God has created and it is beautiful. 
and it is holy, and it is perfect, and it is dedicated toward his glory. And that is what Christian people are to be all about. We are to be dedicated to the glory of God. There are things that I want that I cannot have. There are things that I feel that I cannot participate in. There are things that I desire which I cannot have or be involved with. And that is true if I want to singly devote myself to God. If I want to be all that God has has shown me in the scriptures, if I want to be a holy temple, if I want to have his presence and desire him above all things, this, this is the path that he has laid out for us. Next week, um, I'm going to tackle, and this is going to come off strong. I'll probably be abused on Facebook somewhere, but I will tackle what God hates. I will tackle the verses that specifically talk about the things that God is against. And we'll work on them. Um, It will probably actually be a little bit technical because I'll actually use the Greek and we'll talk about the complexities of some of the Greek words that are used there because they are complex. Um, And so we'll address some of that stuff today or or next week. But today I want to leave you with that positive vision. And I I don't want anyone to go away saying, you know, this this, uh, guy or this church or these people are full of hate. This has nothing to do with that. Or, or prudes has nothing to do with that. Or, um, you know, exclusive people, you don't belong here, has nothing to do with any of that. What we are trying to declare as a people, as Oakland Drive Christian Church, as this church, because there are people here today who maybe aren't part of this church, that as a church we are trying to declare this, the glory of God. Because that's all we have we're all people and we're born and we die and that, that's all we've got to do that's all we can do is declare the glory of God and live out that glory without compromise and those who disagree with us we love them and we call them to the same glory because every person that you meet whether you love them or hate them is still made to be a temple every person you find distasteful. Every person you want to cast aside, every person you say, well, they're good for nothing. That person is made in the image of God and they are designed, they are designed, designed, do you see, to be a temple for God's presence. They are designed to be eternal beings in the presence of God, standing next to you in the kingdom. And your task, if you're here today as a Christian, whether you're married or single, is this to declare the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in faithfulness, in honor, and in love. Let's stand as we sing.